Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion is centered around the topic of leadership and athletics. We are honored to be joined by two incredible performance coaches who have been a part of championship programs and spend a lot of time around high-level athletes and coaches. They love talking about leadership, and we're beyond excited to have the chance to sit down and learn from them today. Our first panelist is Molly Benetti. Molly currently serves as the Director of Women's Basketball Performance for the 2022 National Champion University of South Carolina Gamecocks. Congratulations. Prior to her move to Columbia, Molly spent four years at the University of Louisville and one year at Purdue, coaching a diverse range of athletes from 11 different sports. She earned her bachelor's from Marquette and her master's in applied kinesiology from the University of Minnesota. She is a published contributor to the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research and is passionate about holistic player development and leadership. Our second panelist is Donnie Mabe. Donnie is in his 25th year of coaching and currently serves as the head coach for Olympic sports and assistant athletics director for athletic performance at the University of Texas. Recognized as a master strength conditioning coach, he has been a part of three national championships at Texas, including the 2005 football team. Prior to his time in Austin, Donnie spent four years at the University of Colorado, where he worked with all varsity athletic programs. He graduated from the University of Georgia, where he played football all four years. Donnie is a motivational speaker and is passionate about teamwork, excellence, and leadership. To learn more about his experiences and services, you can visit DonnieMabe.com. We also recommend you check out the UT Athletic Performance Podcast series titled The Team Behind the Team, a tremendous and free resource for all knowledge-hungry practitioners. We're ready to get started, but before we do, a reminder for all attendees, you can drop any questions you have in the chat, and we will allot some time at the end of the discussion to address them to our panel. All right, here we go. Molly and Donnie, thank you both for being with us today. I love this topic because the concept of leadership is universal, but the application of it comes in so many different forms. Almost everyone understands the importance of leadership, and rarely do we see organizations, companies, and of course, athletic programs have success without it. So my question to the both of you as we embark on this discussion is, what does the word leadership mean to you? And Molly, I'm gonna start with you and then we'll go to Donnie. All right, sounds good, Gabe. And first of all, I appreciate you having us on. This afternoon, I'm excited. Like you said, this is a topic that I love to talk about. So, and, and like you said as well, I think leadership is almost this, sometimes elusive quality. It's like, you know it when you see it, but sometimes it's hard to define. And I don't know that I've thought about this and I don't know that there's a, a way that I can sum it up or even give one sentence to how to define it because I think it has a lot of layers to it. And I think a lot of people, you ask what leadership is. And I mean, a lot of people will say that it means to influence somebody or to influence um, or have influence on somebody or a team. Uh, to accomplish their goals or whatever it is that they want to achieve. And I think influencing is definitely part of it, but there's other components. You know, I look at there's a decision-making and a risk-taking component to it. Are you able to make the hard decisions when you have to? Are you able to take the risk necessary to uh, achieve the, the mission, whether it's for an individual or for an organization? Uh, you've got to have a lot of responsibility for more than just yourself. You know, it's it's really easy to 
uh, take responsibility for your own actions and what goes on in your own world. But as a leader, you have to also take responsibility for the people around you and be willing to take the responsibility when things don't go well. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of it. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's about whatever that mission requires of you. In that, you know, we work in a team setting. Each individual that we work with within that team has a mission for themselves. And then overall, we have a team mission too. And so it's constantly keeping that at the forefront and you're making the decisions and you're um, walking alongside the other people. You know, sometimes you're pushing them along. Sometimes you're, you're just walking beside them and sometimes you're walking behind them and letting them walk on their own. And so I think um, at the end of the day, it's, it's showing people, not telling people it's not control. It's, it's empowering. And um, it requires a lot. There's a, there's a lot of responsibility that we have in our roles if we choose to take it, you know, and I think that's sometimes the difference between a true leader and somebody that just, you know, manages other people or somebody that just wants to, you know, in our case, train athletes. Yeah. I like what you said about walking alongside them or sometimes even behind them and having kind of some different styles to leadership. And that's something we'll get into. Donnie, how about you? What comes to mind when you think about leadership? Um, I think very similar to Molly, the first word that comes to mind is the word art. I think it's a, I think at the, when you boil it down, it's an art. And let me give you some context to that. Um, as many of you know, I'm definitely a huge bookworm. Um, there's a book I read years ago. It's been 2009. I read it. It is a very boring book. I do not necessarily recommend you read it. I'll give you the two sentence, uh, thesis. The book is called Certain Trumpets by Gary Wills. And the, 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 the thesis of this says, just because you were successful to lead one organization does not guarantee you'll be successful leading another. Prime example, uh, this is pretty, not too, too uh, recent, but I remember we had a, I think it was a gal guest in court from, uh, I think she was at Duke before she came to Texas, very successful at Duke. They came here and struggled. And I mean, I don't know. I didn't work with that team at the time, but very successful Duke struggled at Texas. You've seen this all across coaching before. They'll do a great job at one school. They'll come somewhere else and just they lose it or whatever. They can't do it. So, so I think leadership's an art. Uh, from that book, Certain Trumpets, I think it's going to – every situation is unique with your challenges, your problems, personnel, the culture, the – how they make decisions, how things are structured. So it takes a very unique leader to come in and move the needle in a positive way to change that organization and make it better. So my kind of definition of leadership is a little, it's a little probably a little simple, but I think simply saying your ability to get people to do things, maybe that they don't want to do willingly. And so I think that's where the relationship, the politics, uh, the, the, how things are structured, uh, the time, even I think chronologically in an organization, what time frame you get, you lead, you know? So I think that's a big piece of, it's just an art and, and it doesn't guarantee success just because you were a great leader somewhere else. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll make sure we, you know, any recommendations or anything referenced to, we'll make sure we have that in the chat. Donnie, I was looking at your website and I was scrolling through it. And I saw the quote here, and I'm going to read it right off it. It says, if serving is below you, then leading is beyond you. Why do you have that on there? And what does that mean to you? Well, I think there's two models of leadership, right? And uh, 
there's, and I'm, I'm going to kind of use my hands, but you can look this, this is not rocket science. There's a top-down approach, right? So that first triangle is top-down. The leader's at the top and all the followers at the bottom pushing the leader up. I just, I've seen both. If you've worked in coaching long enough, business, that, that it's a successful model. I don't like, I like it when you flip that upside down and now the leader's at the bottom pushing everybody up. So I'm here, it's not about my position, it's about me helping other people. Doesn't mean I can't be successful and take care of myself and have, but just it's a it's an orientation of your focus and priority. I'm gonna do things right, but I'm gonna make sure that I bring people with me. Great leaders can be very successful and be lonely at the top because they're they're jerks and their system works, but it doesn't mean that's the only way that works. So I've seen it done both ways. I've seen top down, you get a lot of scores with that, a lot of good success. But the people below you, they get exhausted, they get beat up, they get taken advantage of. When you when you have a top-down approach, you manipulate your, your followers. When you have a bottom-up approach, you motivate them. It's a big difference. And I think that's kind of the, the thing that changes the, the again, going back to that, it's an art form of leadership that, that I think sets people apart. So absolutely. And you know, you hit on it already that there's some different forms of leadership, right? We can all agree on that. Some work for some teams and organizations, some work for others. How about some of the qualities that go into making a great leader? All right. So we're going to start with Molly. When you think about qualities that go into what we define a great leader, what qualities come to mind to you? Yeah. To piggyback off what Donnie said, I think when you talk about the art of it, you know, at the end of the day, it means it's being adaptable. I think of adaptability as one of the top qualities of a leader. And that means you're, you know, I also, along with that is consistency. You know, I think that's something that I pride myself in is being a consistent person for our players, but at the same time, it's meeting each player where they're at individually and adapting to this, what the situation needs in that moment. And like you said, it, there's no cookie cutter approach to how to lead anybody. And it's really about trial and error. It's about, you know, it's problem solving. And so having the ability to adapt to uh, individual personalities, what they need in the moment on any given day. And we know with 18 to 22 year olds specifically, uh, they're all over the place. And, and some days you get something completely different than the next. And so how are you adapting while still being true to yourself and uh, leading in a way that's moving in the right direction? Um, so consistency and adaptability are, are two huge things. And I think, you know, having the ability to um, be present to what the moment needs, but also, again, keeping that vision out in front of you of where you're trying to go and making sure that everything that you're doing is, again, we're in the business of changing behavior. And so how are we keeping the main thing, the main thing, and making sure that the the behaviors that we're either exhibiting or, or we're trying to get our players to grow into our air in the right direction. Um, there's, you know, there's so many different rabbit holes to go down there, but um, yeah, consistency, adaptability, and, and being able to kind of be that visionary and keep that out in front at all times. Yeah, I'm going to just dive back into that. Something you said, 
being present, but also understanding what's ahead of you and what the vision is. So how do you do that? Right. Even whether it's with your players and, and maybe it's easier to ask in, in a sense of keeping your players focused on that, you know, from the day to day. Yeah. I know it's not, I know it's not a simple answer. Um, it's, it's a summation of a lot of actions by a lot of different people, but, um, you know, on your end and from your own experience, how did you do that? Or how do you do that? I think in the beginning it's creating that for me, it, it's sitting down with each of our players and we map out what we want their story to look like when they, when they step on campus and we really map out that future that they want for themselves and what they want that to look like. And then we really kind of create a map based on where they are. And that's not just physically, but that's also, uh, we're doing some assessments and just having conversations about where they're at mentally and emotionally as well too. So we can create a map of how we're going to grow in each of those areas and what that looks like. You know, we really try to break it down on, on a micro level of what are those daily habits and behaviors and kind of those daily deposits and what that kind of needs to look like brick by brick. And then it's um, involving them in the process. So, you know, my approach is always is to create a partnership with them. Like Donnie talked about the different styles of, of leadership, that top-down approach uh, doesn't really work. Uh, that control and command doesn't really work. If we're, if we're really talking about leading people, now you may have success, but if we're trying to and get them to kind of take ownership of themselves, I don't think that works very well. So it's to kind of create that partnership with them and invite them to be part of the process because when they're involved in it and the decision-making, they have some ownership over it. You're asking them for input. You're asking them for feedback. You're leading with questions rather than just telling them what to do. They're able to kind of keep those, uh, keep the main thing, the main thing, and they understand and they work harder and they're making the right decisions because it was their decision. And it's not just because it, you're coercing them to do it or you're just getting them to be compliant. So uh, it kind of, it just starts from the beginning and really mapping them out and, and letting them know that your goal is it for them to take ownership of their own development and to develop the skills that they need to not just, you know, excel here in their four years, but beyond that um, and give them the opportunities to do so um, and, and let them kind of take reign and take uh, control over their own development and you got to give them opportunities to do that and fail and then you use those moments to teach and it's again a day-by-day -day approach of meeting them where they're at on that day and figuring out what we need to get done on that day and how we're going to do it to take one step forward and it's messy it's really messy you know like you said there's no it's it's such a complex uh process because there is no like step-by-step -step approach to it it's it's an art like donnie said and it's messy and but it, it's fun it's a lot of fun yeah to kind of connect some of the things that you said um I, I like what you hit on right there which was leading with questions early out in the process because right away you're setting the tone that you are coming to them and the athlete especially if it's a new athlete with humility right it comes from a place of this process isn't going to be me telling you what to do but tell me about what you know first right and you're already getting them to talk and for, you know, day one, they're in there and, and they're the ones that are talking. It's not you talking to them. So from a, from a very early point in that relationship, they're already beginning to lead that. So I really, really like that. Donnie, just before we continue, anything you'd want to add to that? Just want to make sure I give you a chance. No, I mean, I think the uh, that adaptability is huge. 
Um, I think, Molly, as you were talking, the thing that kind of was, as I was thinking through that, I was like, that's so good, especially coming out of COVID. I mean, if you look through this COVID stuff we went through, especially in athletics, man, you had to be adaptable and very fluid from like moment to moment, not just day to day or week to week, but like moment to moment. So that was really people that were probably adaptable or probably flourished or did well through that that whole time. I think the, the other component that really came to mind, listening to you guys was, I think a leader has to be a catalyst and they gotta be that person that you can just make it happen. Um, I, you know, I kind of got this from Todd Tukin. He's not, I think he's listening to this, but like, you got to make plays, man. You know, as, as a, as a leader, uh, it's kind of like Michael Jordan. Like they wanted that guy to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game. And so as a leader, maybe there's, whether it's getting raises for your people or, you know, getting a project approved or, or maybe it's a, a kid like, well, I said, maybe it's a kid that you can't reach. Like you're that leader that you're a catalyst. You can just kind of break through into some areas that other people can't reach. And I think as a catalyst, because at the end of the day, leadership's about problem solving. And if you can't solve problems and make plays and, and have the people put their confidence in you to do that, then you start to lose the trust and the, the followership of the, the people that you're leading. So I think that's, You've got to be consistent in that, though. Like Molly said, you've got to make plays consistently and be a catalyst. I like it. Make plays. Um, <laughs> so, Donnie, I'm going to go to you and then Molly give you a chance here. With the years of coaching experience that you have, Donnie, like you mentioned, 25 here, how has your leadership style changed over the years and evolved to where it is now? Uh, that's a great question. I would say, um, perspective. And what I mean by that is I would, when I was younger, I would look at things and get really like, just emotionally like ticked off and it would be a huge deal to me. And so now because of, I've been through enough situations, I'm able to take a breath, take a step back and not make it so big. It's still important but not make it so big. And then I'm I'm more patient with people. And then the conversations I have with them, it's more about like what Molly just said, I'm gonna try to build some rapport here with this person so that I don't burn the bridge and that we can patch this up and move forward and end up being a better place than we were if I would've just blew up and went off. So I think just perspective on situations. And I think, um, you know, when you're leading, you've really got to have, man, I can't, I, real quick, this is so important. This is huge for me, what, I, what I've learned. There's two, I think there's two ways. There's, I forget where I got this, guys, but it was like, you can lead with passion, right? If you lead only with passion, you're very tyrannical. You're hard, you're a driver. You don't, you know, there's just, man, we got to win 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 right winning is that's all that matters if you leave if you don't have passion you're just leave with compassion now you're getting walked over you're getting taken advantage of you're not maybe you're not winning as you're not scoring you know you're taking more hits so though you got to have both i think that the magic combo is leading with passion and compassion so i think you got to be a passionate leader have the vision and be driving for the goal 
but there's got to be this empathy, compassion side for people so that they stay with you. And again, again, that goes back to my first part, the perspective. You've got to have compassion on people. And uh, I think kind of try to win them over as you go. There's going to be times you 100% got to make tough decisions and let people go. That's part of it. That's a business decision. But I think that's the, the big thing that's changed for me over the years. Yeah, thank you. And Molly, how about yourself uh, from when you first started as a coach to where you're at now? Yeah, definitely a shift in perspective as well. You know, I'm thinking of myself going on, this is my 10th full, full-time year as a coach. And, you know, when you're young, kind of how you get into this is you're trying to mimic the leaders and the coaches that you worked under until you kind of find your own voice uh, as a coach. And I think your own leadership style falls into that same, same category. And so I know I really struggled to kind of find my own voice and my own coaching style throughout the first part of my career. Uh, I think also coming into this field, you kind of learn the, the old kind of control and command style of coaching, especially in the college realm of, you know, everything's got to be really controlled and orderly and our athletes have to be, um, you know, re really disciplined and on tempo and they're moving with pace and everything is, is on you and, and all of this. That was the style that I was kind of brought up into. And so that was kind of what I adopted, but that never really felt awesome to me. It never really felt uh, natural. It never really felt like really the best, like you get results, like you train athletes, you're going to get results. You know, people are accomplishing goals that they have for themselves, but what they don't teach you coming into this field is that it's a people business and that you can write the best program in the world. You can have the best training technique and technology and X, Y, and Z. And that's all you really learn in school and in your internships. But then at the end of the day, like you've got to get in front of a group of people and get them to do something they inherently don't want to do, especially when you're working with basketball players who, again, don't, wouldn't step foot in the weight room, uh, really, if they had a choice. Um, and nobody really teaches you how to, how to do that. You teach, you get taught how to coach. And by, for us, coaching means how do we coach a squat? How do we coach speed, you know, mechanics and things like that. But not about, um, you know, how do you connect with people? How do you change behavior? You know, do you even understand human behavior and the psychological aspect of it? And so my perspective on that has changed, you know, it's done a complete 180. And that just comes from really failing a lot at making the impact that I wanted to. I was getting training results, but I wasn't making or influencing people to really change behavior on their own. It was more about compliance. It was more about, it was me kind of telling and running the show and it just wasn't the relationships weren't where I wanted them to be and so it was kind of this tipping point in my career and that's a whole nother story but it's really um kind of evolved from again this that top-down approach to one now of really it's the human and the person first and really like I can't lead you well if I don't know you and you know I think we have an opportunity in our roles if we want to to really go deep with it and actually lead people and make a bigger impact than beyond just the weight room and training them. Like when you train them, yeah, relationships come and things get, you know, things are good. But like when you really put them first and like, you know, them on a deep level, like where you can take them is so much further than, than where you could, if you're just focused on the tasks that you needed to accomplish and getting the results. And that's what I used to focus on early on in my career. And now I found when you don't focus on that and you focus on the person, the results that you get are actually 10 times better than, what they were before.
Yeah, that was a great answer. Uh, both you had, like Molly, I had flashbacks when I was starting and a lot of the things that you said, those are similar experience. I know I probably speak for Mike there too. Um, just kind of exactly that uh, same experience. And what Donnie said before that when he thinks of leadership, he thinks of, you know, the word art comes to mind and, and tying that into Molly, what you said that our education, our background in this, as you come up as coaches is based on science, but then the application of it, right. That's an art. That's an art. So as you mentioned, you can write the best program in the world, but really you got to think more about the person, the person that comes first and that allow you to do your job better. Uh, Donnie, I also like what you said about uh, the compassion versus passion or, or the combination of both. And taking this a step further into that, does your leadership style change at times of the year? Right. So speaking from experience, I always try to complement, not replicate the head support coach in a sense. It's like early off season when you're trying to set the tone for the new season and the hours are strength conditioning dominant. I was a bit more stern and demanding, or maybe like Donnie, you said, passionate. And then when the sport volume increased and the head sport coaches shifted their mentality to the in season, I changed to being not any less demanding, but more compassionate. Um, it's a bit easier to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations, listen, have a safe space away from the sport coaches and my players at Washington, the baseball guys would joke. They would say, when I started the fall, I would start at coach Derman and then slowly shift to coach G and then G. And then by the end of the spring season, G baby. So, um, and that was reflective. <laughs> no. That was reflective of my personality throughout the course of the season. And we go to summer and then it starts all over again, coach Derman in the fall. So um, does leadership style change throughout the year? I'm going to go to Donnie first, then over to Molly. That's a, that is a great question. And I'm going to tell you just what comes to mind just over my, the years of coaching. I do. I believe that depending on going back to that book, certain trumpets, great leaders know how to adapt their style depending on the landscape of who they're leading. I don't believe who you are, your core values ever changes, but I believe your temperament, your personality, possibly even, uh, just the way you interact with people has got to be very fluid in today's leadership economy. Um, look at, a, this is a, probably a horrible example, but like pro wrestling, you ever watch pro wrestlers? If you ever meet, I've worked with these guys behind the scenes. They're just normal dudes, but they have this alter ego when they step on that stage that comes out and whether it's real big or whatever, and they play this this character that who they are uh, that people love, right? And so there's part of like in sports, when you're depending on like, I would work with football, I don't have football anymore, but I would work with football. Dude, you had to be alpha. You had to be like big energy, like rah, rah, rah. And I'd flip around and work with a golf team. They don't like that. Even like some of these, I had women's sprints uh, in track during that time. Those girls were not feeling all that rah, rah. After coming off running 400s and 200s and for repeats on the track, so I think as a leader in this industry today, there, you know, everybody like to Molly mentioned it. You you just try to mimic this big energy, bring the juice kind of stuff, dude. There's some and there's some sports they will run you out of the building if you do that with them. You can't bring that crap in there. So I think you got to be able to have the alter ego. You got to know how to adapt your personality, what it calls for, because at the end of the day, Molly and Elle, you got to connect with people, and if that means being a little quieter, you need to do that. So.
Yeah, Molly, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know that I could have said it any better, Donnie. Um, I think it's really fluid. And to me, I'm always asking the question, like, who does this person need me to be right now? Like, do they need me to give them a kick in the ass today? Is that what they need? Or can I tell by their body language when they walk in the door that they maybe just need a hug <laughs> and like I need to back off? And so I think it's, a, uh, you know, I agree with you to an extent, Gabe, about kind of how, you know, it shifts maybe a little bit season to season and definitely you know, in season for them is the most stressful time of the year. And so for me, I really try to keep thing at, keep things as relaxed and, you know, low maintenance as possible because I know how many other things that they're dealing with. But, you know, from a personality standpoint, I, you know, I don't change. But again, it's what does that person need in that moment in that, you know, on that day? What does our team need right now? And I think when you're a really good coach and a really good leader, you are observing and you're listening more than you're talking and you can pick up on things that don't even need to be said. And so, you know, your athletes well enough to know just by the look on their face or by their body language and how they're walking in the room that day, if they feeling great, if they're not, and that's a conversation starter. Um, and it's adapting and just being fluid based on what the situation calls for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks to the both of you. So, um, you both spent time around national championship teams. Molly, you're fresh off the women's basketball national championship. I remember watching the celebration on TV and I can recall coach Staley walking the trophy over to the student section and letting the student body have a moment with the trophy. Uh, I thought that was an incredible like, demonstration of humility and, and gratitude and recognition of like, Hey, this takes everybody, right. Including the fans, everybody who's here, representing South Carolina right now was a is a part of this so can you tell me a little bit about what the leadership was like on that team both from the coaches and the players and the marriage between that yeah man I just I got chills when you said that because that's coach Staley to a T and she took the trophy over to the band you know she told them this is this is yours too and so that's you know I've learned so much about leadership just from working with her and I think on stage when she got a chance to talk and we were all up there with the trophy, she made a point out to call out every single person on our team that didn't get to play a lot. By name, she had uh, addressed every single person on her team that wasn't a star in their role and thanked them for what they put in behind the scenes day to day, because it's true, we wouldn't have won that without them. And we had 16 players, 11 All-Americans that could have gone and started at maybe any other school in the country, but the amount that they sacrifice. And so I think that uh, was an incredible example of leadership on her part. And I've been really fortunate on our team because of the standard that she sets. And I think that her and I work really well together in kind of the same approach of how we really treat each individual, you know, based on where they're at and how at for them individually, while still having the same high standards and expectations. But we've kind of created this um autonomous environment where our players are really driving what's going on behind the scenes and we have had two captains on our team that have been consistent the past couple years and there were things that went on this season that could have completely derailed our season and, and none of us knew any of what was going on until after the season because they handled it themselves and I think I know from my standpoint that's what I strive to do in our weight room is again, create autonomous problem solving human beings that can handle things. And I'm there as a guide when they need it. And I know 
Coach Staley is the same way. It's handle your business like a woman, and I'm here to help support you and help guide you when you don't know what to do in those moments. But it really is, you know, everybody has different roles and the way that she's able to get people to buy into those roles as well as them embracing it. And um, nobody's treated differently based on if they're a walk-on that plays zero minutes a game or you're Aaliyah Boston, you're the national player of the year. And I think that's what makes our program really special. Yeah, I saw, I saw that on TV and I just, I was, I was happy. I said, like, well, I'm happy they won. Uh, and, and at the same time, I wasn't surprised um, seeing her bring that trophy around to everybody. That was really great. And Donnie, for you, you've won a national championship three times, men's football, women's volleyball, and most recently men's tennis. From those experiences, any of them, all of them together, what are some of the things about the leadership on those teams that stood out to you? Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to the first thing that comes to mind on that question. The greatest teams I've been a part of that have done that, and this I know this is kind of a cliche, but the players lead the team. They police the team. They lead the team. It's not perfect. Like Molly said, you always got some kind of drama, somebody causing a problem. You have to put out fires. But the best teams, and I'm going to use a kind of a, a word here, the best teams, the, the, the kids are bought in. They're policing things. They're leading, whether it's volunteer workouts or volunteer like practice stuff, they're taking ownership of that. The worst teams, there's a ton of drama always. And instead of moving forward, there's this sideways energy. It's like the coach is not, the coach is leading the team and he's having to put out this fire over here. And we go back over and put out this fire and we're not moving forward. So we spend more time on sideways energy. And we're not moving forward. So you never get momentum built up to win a national championship. So the foundation of leadership on any team to be great is those student athletes, they've got to take ownership and lead that team. And then the coach has got to handle the little things. But if the coach has to lead the team, put out fires and all that, it's really very difficult to have an edge at the end of the year and win it all. So that's what I've seen. Yeah, and going into what you just said, Donnie, kind of that player-driven leadership, as performance coaches, Donnie, I'm going to start with you. Is there anything that you do in the weight room or on the court that you do to put athletes in a position to demonstrate or build leadership skills? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things you need to, um, first and foremost, you need to have some captains, like Molly just said. We all, you know, with, with both teams, we have either whether it's a leadership council or captains. And we hold, we ask them, like, how good do y'all want to be this year? We put it back on them, like, and then we start having meetings with them of like, if you want to be that good, here's going to be our team culture. You guys got to help drive that. So it's not just us coming up with it, right? It's them being creative and, and kind of casting the vision for the team. So there's like Molly talks about this a little bit, but it's very collaborative versus top down. So if you can get the kids to kind of help, you know, bring a lot of that part pieces to the table, you're going to get a lot more buy-in because they're coming up with it. It's not just some, well, you know, it's not just something we're coming up with coaches. These are what you guys wanted. So these are our standards. 
this is our vision for the year. And so when it falls below that standard, we're going to hold you accountable. And so it's a lot more easily received and corrected a lot easier when the kids come up with the athletes. This is what they want. And now we help them drive the bus much more easier. Yeah, Molly. Yeah, you know, I'll echo a lot of what you just said, Donnie, as well, too, just trying to give them opportunities to come up with those things on their own. And I try to I try to start every session with a question and it can be sometimes it's something serious. Sometimes it's something silly or whatever it is, you know, question of the day. And, you know, sometimes those conversations lead into, you know, 20 minutes of, of our lift time, but they're super helpful and they help drive some, some serious growth or it's, you know, like Donnie, you said, they have them map out what those championship behaviors look like and have them uh, kind of create those for themselves. And then, one thing that I try to do is always giving them opportunities to um, lead things, whether it's in the weight room um, or every day they're they're given some sort of choice that they have to make for themselves. And, and for that, for some of them, that's leadership for themselves because they don't have to think for themselves any other part of their day. Um, in the summer and in the preseason, so like all summer and then all preseason, we on Fridays, we typically lift in groups throughout the week. And then on Fridays, we have final four Fridays. And that is probably my favorite thing for us to do because sometimes it's an entire team uh, challenge or competition. Sometimes we're broken up into two teams. Maybe it's multiple, whatever it is. But every single Friday, I pick two different leaders for that day. And so whatever it is that they're doing, I'm giving that information to the leaders of the day. And then they're responsible for accomplishing and getting their team to do what they need to do. And so maybe they're in charge of everybody, maybe they're in charge of their own team. And so we'll go through also um, almost like a rating and a grading process after, because at the end of the session, we'll debrief and they have a chance to evaluate themselves. Their teammates have a chance to evaluate them. And I usually start with our more experienced players, or I might start with our captains and our veterans and then, but I'm throwing freshmen in there. I'm throwing everybody in there at some point. Um, and it's a chance to kind of just throw them into the fire um, and have some experience. They've got to organize their team. They've got to communicate. They've got to do this. And then having them evaluate what could have been better, what did they do well, um, areas they need to work on. And then uh, it kind of exposes that for them. And so I try to give them opportunities all throughout the offseason, you know, when they're spending the most time with me. Um, so that's something kind of unique that we do. And then just, you know, times where, uh, players are leading the warmups. And so I'm not, I don't need to lead every single court warmup. It's 10 minutes of my day that I can, you know, do something out, like watch them and observe them. But like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of mindless at this point. So getting them opportunities to do that or in the weight room and things like that. Yeah, some great points you both brought up there. Um, a question or a point that you both brought up previously was that it's not always perfect, right? You're going to have to put out a fire, even on championship teams, right? Donnie, you said you're going to have to put out a fire here. It's just, hey, are we not putting fires out every single day in different areas? We're not going laterally, but as you go up, inevitably, you're going to have to put out a fire or two. When you realize that someone is starting to slip, someone you oversee, a player of yours, um, another coach, what is your process like to get them back on their feet and moving in the right direction again with the team? Donnie, I'll go to you. No, very, very good question. And I, I would say this, typically with, again, it goes back to 
again, Molly mentioned this, but your head coach has got to set the tone. Um, you know, we play, we're a support role. And so you got to make sure, and I've, and I've actually done, I've stepped in some poo-poo on this one. When your head coach is not on board with you and you decide you're going to check one of the Honda Award winners, but she's not on board with you and you check them like I did, it doesn't go well for you. So first and foremost, you need to work. We are culture fosterers, not culture creators. I think some strength coaches, I think they like to, you know, that's a huge buzzword right now. We don't create the culture. We foster it and protect it and try to like kind of bolster it up a little bit. So I would say, number one, you need to know why an athlete is acting like that. You need to have context. Um, I've seen some athletes that I'm not in, I'm not privy. I'm not in all those meetings with the coaches of maybe something that's going on. Um, and you end up checking them and you get a, you get a bad response that not only you don't like, but now you just broke trust with them and you've lost them for six weeks or longer. And so I think again, your head coach, the really good head coaches will keep you in the loop of what's going on behind the scenes. So then you have a context of something going on. You may have to pull somebody aside and maybe deal with that differently until you can get to a healthy place versus just dropping on it. And, you know, we're going to handle this right now. So I think, again, being in lockstep with your head coach and then having context about how to kind of handle that will give you a lot more success than just being this, like Molly said, like a militant, like I'm just going to confront it and handle it right now. So. Anyway, so that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, Molly, I see you nodding your head, maybe agreeing with a lot of things that yeah. Donnie just said. Yeah, you know, old me would have, you know, jumped the kid or I would have, you know, lost my mind if they're pissing me off. If they, if you see them and they're just out of it or they seem lazy or unmotivated or, or whatever it is. And I think in my 10 years too, I've never worked with an athlete that's truly unmotivated. And I think that's a term we throw around a lot with maybe this younger generation. And Donnie, you said it like context is key. So now it's more so like, I need to ask some questions to figure out what, what's going on. I need to get all the information that I can get. So I'm not coming at this kid for something that you know, something much deeper is going on in their life or I'm misunderstanding what's happening. So it's, you know, if there's something going on, I'm asking, I'm talking with my coaches first and if they're noticing the same thing or it's just question, having a conversation, bringing them in, talking to them a little bit before or I'm in the, you know, Donnie, I'm sure you are too. Like I see these kids all day, every day. I'm around them all the time, not just in the weight room. And so it's being able to just, try to probe a little bit. And then if it gets to a point where you're not seeing any change, it's then you've got to probe a little bit more and just, you know, maybe it's not something they want to talk about, um, but inviting them to listen and, and be somebody for them if they need it or figure out like what it is that needs to happen. Are they going through something right now? And like, they just need some, they just need to figure some stuff out. Or is it truly like, you know, maybe they're burnt out or they're super stressed or they're, you know, having a hard time with whatever it might be. Um, and then once you actually know the information, then you can figure out, okay, what, what does that person need from me right now? Do they need a kick in the ass or do they need me to just give them some time to kind of let this thing play out? So ask questions, 
you know, I try to give these kids the benefit of the doubt. Now, yes, you can get burned, but I think when you have the relationships and you, you know, have that trust, like they're not, these kids really aren't playing you. Um, like some people I think, or coaches are afraid that they're going to get burned, but um, give them the benefit of the doubt and then ask questions. I got, I got some stories. Can I, can I share some stories? Of course. Do you have any time you want to share a story? Dude, these, share a story. Um, these are crystal clear, Molly. You, you, so I'll blame you for making me think. We're doing, this is back in like 08. We're doing like, you know, like county fair type circuit stuff with football, like sled pushes, you know, carry, you know, all that stuff, you know, bags. Somebody, one of our staff pissed off Brian Arakpo. Do you know who that is? This dude, he wasn't, he was getting close to being the monster he was in the NFL. All of a sudden I look up and I hear him yelling and cussing. And I see a, I'm not kidding you, a 45 pound metal plate flying through the air, like a Frisbee, like somebody tossed it at the park. And it was like the matrix. It just like, I saw it hit the ground and it, and it landed like a wagon wheel kept going. And I'm like, I don't know who just pissed him off, but that did, that's not, so that was one. And I saw another morning, the next year, uh, Will Muschamp was the D coordinator of Texas says something to Sergio Kendall and pissed him off. And we could, his nickname was Megatron Sergio. Cause he was just so chopped up and he went off and I saw him put, I mean, he put Will coach Will like put the, like one of those metal zippers. Like he didn't say nothing after that. Cause he's going to whoop everybody's ass in the line up there. We all moved to the back. Like all the strength coaches, like I moved to the back of the line. I'm not going to be near this dude. So I think you got to know kind of, and Sergio, you know, he was narcoleptic, so he'd fall asleep and be late to workouts. And so it was, he had a disease, right? So you got to know context. And, and they, so they managed those athletes different moving forward, and we didn't have any problems. So it just, everybody, every athlete's different. Yeah, thanks for the stories. Uh, anytime, Don, you want to share a story, you just interrupt me and go ahead and do that. So Sorry, you, always, Sorry. you always got them. But it seems like the commonality between the two things that, you both said was the first step in that process is seeking to understand, right? That's the first step, no matter what the reaction is, no matter what the decision ends up being on how you're going to handle it first, just trying to seek to understand. So thank you both for that. And Molly, earlier, you mentioned something about grading uh, after the session, before the session, uh, a little bit about that. And that brings up a pretty good point about feedback and the role that feedback plays in that relationship and in leadership. So Molly, I'm gonna start with you. How often are you providing feedback to those you oversee? And secondly, how often are you asking for feedback from them? Yeah, you know, I'll start by saying that last part of that question, how asking them for feedback is something that, especially strength coaches, don't do nearly enough. Maybe some don't do it ever, but doing that, was maybe a uh, was life changing for me, honestly, and kind of uh, at that point when I kind of went through this transition or like that hit that tipping point in my career where I was like, "This ain't it," and I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and asking feedback was one of the hardest things I did, but also one of the most um, informative and like helpful things that I did too. But um, as far as art with our players in particular you know, formally we'll do it kind of at every, you know, turning point in our year. So like when they go home 
after the season, when they go home before the, you know, for summer, for the month and a half or whatever that they get to, you know, I'll meet with each of them individually. Um, I get their feedback first on their, you know, the past couple months or whatever it is, just the year as a whole. But then I'm also, and then I'm asking them for their assessment of themselves and where they're at and what they need to improve on. And then I'm complementing that with my perspective and what areas that I'd like to see them grow. Um, and so we'll do that, you know, when they, before they go home, we'll do that. I'm doing that currently this week with them. This is our first week back as a team. So I'm meeting again with them individually now that I kind of get a gauge for where we are and then having those conversations. We'll do that again at the end of the summer. We'll do that again before the season starts. Um, you know, with my captains specifically, you know, in those conversations, I'm always talking about or asking them to evaluate themselves as captains and as leaders and things that went well uh, this season and then where uh, areas for them to grow and improve going into this season, um, getting their feedback first and then delivering my feedback um, informally, you know, it kind of happens kind of organically, kind of just based on when it needs to be done. I don't try to uh, overcoach or just speak to speak or give them input, or, you know, just to, to say that I did. It's really trying to find those moments of teaching um, and moments where you can kind of insert the feedback and insert just based off, off observation. And those are sometimes things that I'm seeing on the court and seeing things surface up there. And then also seeing that in the weight room kind of transpire too. So um, it's, it's pretty individual, it's fluid. It's kind of just based on necessity. Um, and then, you know, throughout the year, there's, I guess, a more formal approach to it as well. Yeah. And Donnie, for you, I maybe shift it to being a director or head coach um, of Texas Olympic sports and UT athletic performance. How about from the other coaches and the staff that works for you? What is that feedback process like, both providing feedback and getting feedback in return? Yeah, I think that's a good question, talking about feedback. Um, I believe any feedback you need to give anybody is going to start with your relationship and rapport with that person. Um, and this is how it works. This is kind of a general rule, but the more candid that I want to be with somebody, the more you need to invest in them before you're candid. So... If not, you have you run the risk of ruining that relationship. And so you're going to need to build that rapport, spend some time getting to know. And I don't think it needs to be like touchy-feely stuff, but you need to intentionally have conversations with them. And it, I think having conversations about their life, uh, you know, when you were talking about leading people at work, you need to have a little bit of an idea of what's going on outside of work. You don't need to be too much information or too messy but you need to know like kind of like where they are in their just their life in general. And so as you do that, when the time comes up for feedback and you've built this foundation of trust and rapport, now your, your feedback is coming from a, a basis of, I have your best interests at heart. Like I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. And so I think that's a big thing about feedback for me. Uh, do you have to do that? No, you can still get feedback. You just probably want to be a little bit more calculated on how you deliver that feedback, meaning what time of day is it? What I, I would even consider their environment. Um, 
kind of what you know, maybe what maybe how stressed they are. They may receive that a little differently if they're not as stressed right now. So I think, you know, obviously if it's urgent feedback, you need to do it pretty quick. If it's something not good, you don't need to delay to do that. But if it's something that you can kind of be a little uh, more timely with, just take those into consideration. As far as getting feedback, I'm gonna say this as a director, it's really hard to get feedback from staff because they just, they're gonna, you're the boss, they're gonna kind of tell you what you wanna hear, you know, because there could be repercussion on that. So that's not always a bad thing. What I would recommend if you're ever a director or leader, and I've done this twice, and I need to do it again soon, but I would recommend getting a 360 eval. And just what that is, it's a, a pretty pretty anonymous. You can figure it out if you read it enough, but it's a, it's a report. And I would get evaluated by people that report directly to me. It's usually like a, anywhere from a 25 to or more question evaluation process on myself as a leader in different areas. So I get evaluated down, I get evaluated by my colleagues here, peers, and I get evaluated by my boss directly. And I get that report. And what you'll find out in that report, there's usually some blind spots, right? I love one of my favorite quotes is like, we can put a man on the moon, but we still can't see the back of our neck, right? So every leader has blind spots and you just gotta be aware of what those are and build your team around those blind spots so you can be effective. So I think those, those reports will show your blind spots. They'll show you some incompetencies, incompetencies or some, some weakness areas you need to work on. Some themes usually come up uh, once you do that. And uh, that's kind of what I think for feedback is number one, giving it the feedback, just build that relationship and it goes a lot smoother. And then getting feedback, I think you just got to be careful on how you, you know, I think it's a little bit more formal sometimes to take, to be taken serious. Yeah, thanks. Uh, go ahead, Molly. But, uh, sorry, Gabe, I was going to ask if I could kind of add on to that because initially you asked about getting feedback um, and to kind of a little bit different than what you're saying, Donnie. I do ask my players for feedback, and I think one of the biggest questions I ask them, even from the very beginning when they first get here, is like, how do you want to be coached and how do you like to be coached? Or like, what are the qualities that you most value in the coach and kind of get that information right off the bat. But I'm constantly asking them, what can, how can I help you better? Or like, how can I be a better coach for you? Or like, what do you need more of from me? And sometimes they're, I mean, not sometimes like they're, they're going to be honest with you. Like I really haven't had an athlete bullshit me on that. And like, I've had some really hard conversations with athletes, especially after like my first year here where I was really struggling with, with figuring some things out. But I think we don't ask, we think our athletes don't know anything uh, when in reality, like we think we're coming off a certain way to them, or we think that we're connecting with them. We think that we're being effective and they're perceiving us a completely different way. And so, you know, another question is like, how is this person, how does this person experience me as a coach? And then how do they experience themselves when they're around me? Those are all the two questions that I, that I ask and that I want to know, because ultimately I'm trying to create the best experience possible for this person um and I, I like i need to know how i can be better for them if they view me a certain way and like they're not i'm not getting the best out of them because of whatever reason like i need to know that because i can adapt doesn't mean i'm going to change everything or just you know attune to every one of the of their needs but it's really important that we're actually being the person that we think that we're being to our athletes and serving them in the way that is most effective 
but I think that's a humbling experience. And I think sometimes our egos are too big to think that we're not effective. I'm glad I brought two notebooks with me today. Uh, some great, some great answers, some great perspective, which uh, we appreciate a ton. Last question that I have for the both of you, and then we'll move to the Q and A and allow some people to ask some questions directed to you. We'll turn it over to Mike is, it doesn't need to be a long answer is who does someone that has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Go to Don and then uh, we'll go over to Molly. Oh, me first. Um, I th- you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer in studying leaders that sometimes aren't alive. So, um, I mean, the, the, if you guys know me of any, John Maxwell has like been my favorite author to study any of the listeners have never read any of his books that you gotta, if you really want to grow on this topic, start just picking up his books. Um, specifically the 21 ir- irrefutable laws of leadership is the main one for him. Um, I think the other, the other leader I've really studied in the past couple leaders is Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. Those two, just the way they've led. And uh, I think they, how they've handled crises, how they've managed people, um, how they've been more servant leader minded, those kind of situations in the books I've read and studied have been great. Um, I think as far as like somebody who's been, you know, that's the leaders over the years, I've just, that's really had a, a powerful influence on me. I, I, I think a bunch of different coaches. Um, I know I was around Mac Brown for a long time and that guy was just, I mean, he's still, he's in his seventies, still coaching obviously. So, um, Great motivator, um, very good at just knowing what the situation calls for to adjusting his message for that situation and good at managing people. Uh, he, I'll just say this, he wasn't always popular of how he managed people. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that takes a lot of guts and the courage to be that kind of a leader. I think if you're going to lead in uh, tough situations, if you don't have a lot of courage, if you're kind of you don't have a, a backbone, right? Then you're not gonna you're not gonna make it through. You're gonna get eat up. So I think those are some that come to mind. I think even like one more is just Bill McCartney early on at Colorado. That guy was he's still uh, Bill's getting up there a little bit, but that guy I've never seen a coach that passionate about sports, but also that passionate about caring about his his players. I mean, this true story again. Another quick story, and I'll give to Molly. But I'm a podunk intern making no money, working 80 hours a week, scrubbing boogers off the floor of Colorado. I couldn't afford a parking pass, had to park like three blocks over. And uh, so I'd get off late at night during football season and I would just get my little backpack and waddle all the way to my little Bronco too with the 150,000 miles on it. I do this every night. If you've worked in this business, you know your routine. One night I'm walking by myself this car pulls up beside me. It's a big, fancy car. And I look over and it's Bill McCartney. And he's leaving practice. He'd been watching film. And it was getting dark out. He goes, hey, uh, can I give you a ride to your car? And I was just like, I about fell over. I mean, what you going to tell it? Like, I was like, Bugs Bunny. I was like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah, boss. So I hop in, hop in this like, big Lincoln, stretch Lincoln. And he just talks to me all the way to my car and just, from that point on, I'm like, dude, I will run through a wall for this dude. And so that's, those are the kind of examples that's, that's kind of stuck with me through the years. 
That's great. And Molly, to you, um, anybody in particular that's had an impact on you as a leader? Yeah, there's there's probably too many. I kind of want to just defer back to Donnie, though. I could just sit here and listen to Donnie Mabe stories all day. <laughs> um, you know, I think of, you know, I think I've experienced some, you know, as a, as a woman in this field too, and as a, a female leader, I think that's always something that is a little bit of a struggle. And so I look at the women that I was really lucky to be exposed to really early on in my career. And I think, you know, none other, Tina Murray was my boss at, at Louisville for four years. And I remember like, I wanted to go to Louisville because I wanted to learn from Tina because I knew that she was a trailblazer. I knew that um, she really paved her way as a woman in this field and worked her way up into that director's position. And I also knew going into it, just people that know Tina, like I knew that she was going to be really hard on me. And I, I really craved that. And I think that was one of the most impactful four years of my life. And I was also uh, coming onto a staff of, we had seven full-time coaches and four of them were women, which is unheard of in strength and conditioning. You're lucky if you've got one woman on staff. And so I was in this environment and I have this badass woman as my boss who is really hard on me, but like, I got to see firsthand, like somebody that just wouldn't take no for an answer. Somebody that always found a way to just find solutions and find a way to make things happen, no matter what it took. And somebody that just continuously raised the bar, not just for myself as a professional, um, and somebody, you know, that's aspiring to be in this field, but I saw her set the bar and continuously set the bar for her athletes, for our entire staff, for our entire profession of strength and conditioning. And so I was 24 when I got to Louisville and I got pushed to my limit really early on in my career. And it really made me think that like, there are no boundaries or no limits for myself as a woman or as a leader in this field. And so I owe so much of just my growth and kind of, she, she is somebody that shaped me. We are very different people, but she is somebody that shaped me as a coach and as a leader, maybe more than anybody. Um, and then I think in, you know, maybe the more recent, you know, you is, is a coach that was a mentor of mine back when I was an intern at Exos way back in 2012. And I remember being an intern there and he was one of the coaches that just, re I really gravitated towards because of just who he is, how he handles his business, how he coaches and leads and just kind of his infectious personality and his, um, desire. Like he would not let me not be great. And to this day is still a really close friend of mine and is somebody that has been a mentor and that I seek help from because I'm, I'm a firm believer too that coaches need coaches and he's been one of mine. Uh, Jeremy Boone is somebody that's also had a really big impact on me as a leader and as I was kind of trying to figure out this new style of coaching and leadership. Um, he was uh, somebody that I sought out and kind of his network of of other leaders as well too and so those three are probably the you know, immediate ones that come to mind, but there's so many people along the way that, you know, for better or for worse, uh, helped me really develop my own, my own voice and my own style of leadership. Yeah, Molly, I think just for a second, I want to make sure that we get the name of the person who was at Exos. I think it just kind of glitched for a quick second to make okay. sure that who was that? Yeah, yeah. Brett Bartholomew. Oh, great. Awesome. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. you might have heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
that's tremendous. And we appreciate that. I, I think back to my early experiences uh, in strength conditioning and, and starting at the University of Michigan, having people like Mike Faber and his staff over there. And then they led me to people like Donnie Mabe. Uh, and here we are years later uh, talking. So I uh, really appreciate that. We have a lot of great stuff in there. I'm going to go over to Mike here. I know we have at least a question in the Q&A there, and we can make sure that we address that. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, just listening in on the conversation and, and all the great insights that you guys provided, I think just taking a step back and, and hitting home on those points of, Molly, I believe you brought it up, is like we are in the people industry. And then on top of that, like how important relationships are, regardless if it's a coach, another sport coach, another SNC coach, or, and, and your athletes. Um, I thought that was fantastic. But we do have a, a question in the chat here from Daniel. And uh, Molly, I'm going to go to you first, and then Donnie, feel free to chime in. Um, Daniel's question is, how does your leadership adapt when you approach the boundaries of your current expertise? For example, maybe mental health. Um, I guess just from experience in SNC as well as like maybe uh, understanding to an athlete, like how important academics are, and then those different domains that might not just be in your guys' wheelhouse, uh, which is that SNC. So Molly, go to you first. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when we're in our role, Donnie, you know, like we wear a lot of different hats as a strength coach because we are somebody that we spend so much time with our athletes at all times of the year. We probably spend more time with them than anyone. And so, you know, we wear, we wear the hat of strength coach. We wear the hat sometimes of just like friend, sometimes it's therapist, sometimes it's all of it. Right. And so I think when you develop the relationships that you do, um, you've got to know when, um, you need to re refer out. And, you know, I think I'll give you an example of, uh, we have an athlete this season who is a freshman and she tore ACL the second game of the season. And so, um, which was probably the biggest blessing in disguise for her, but needless to say, her and I are like two peas in a pod. We spend a lot of time together. And so we've developed a really close relationship and there came a point you know, throughout um, really beginning of the season after surgery and all these things, this athlete was like the number one kid coming out of high school, never been injured before, never really dealt with any sort of adversity before. So, you know, they're bound to experience some challenges. Um, was dealing kind of like Gabe, we talked about before, was starting to slip. Um, some things were happening that we were being made aware of, some behaviors that weren't a lying and an intervention kind of needed to be had. And it came from myself. Um, and there, for her, it was finally that breaking point of where everything that she had just been bottling up about this injury, all of it just came out. And we ended up sitting, we have this kind of back, big back storage closet on the turf. We ended up sitting on this turf for probably an hour and a half and, and just all, everything that she had never said out loud to anybody before was just coming out. And as this is happening, you know, she's the one that trusts me to talk about these things, but I'm texting our mental performance coach and our, our psychologist. I'm like, Hey, this is what's happening. I can't talk right now, but I'm gonna call you after this. And then it was that conversation where I'm here to listen. I'm here to help how I can in that moment, but there's deeper issues here at play. And so I need to make sure that you're getting the help that you need and that anybody that's involved, um, is, you know, the proper things are being, um, addressed. And so like, that's a moment where it's like, yeah, like we serve so many different, 
purposes and we have these relationships and sometimes we get information that uh, we don't know what to do with. Um, and sometimes we just have to know when to like, there's things that have to go elsewhere. And it's kind of knowing that when those times come, um, but that's where obviously the importance of a greater performance team comes into play too. Like those people have to have relationships with these athletes as well. Um, I'm hoping that's kind of the route you were going with that question a little bit. Obviously there's so many people that have a hand in this athlete's day-to-day -day lives and that get to, you know, be part of that journey. Um, and I think obviously the, the great programs, like they're the ones like everything's kind of rolling in the same direction and they're on the same page and communication is, is open. And so luckily, like we have a great relationship with that person and with medical and all that. So where we could have this conversation is to make sure that the proper help was um, had. That's an example of it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's sometimes we get hit with some pretty heavy information um, and some things that we're just not equipped to handle. So we got to know where that information needs to be uh, directed to. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that story, Molly. And I, and I think the biggest thing that sticks out is like understanding, Hey, maybe this is not my lane, but I'm going to find those resources for that athlete, reach out to the mental performance coach and, and the sport psych and so on. So that's great. Donnie flicking over to you. Um, how does leadership adapt when you're, when you approach the boundaries of your current expertise? Well, again, I have another story that I'm going to tell you what not to do first. Um, you know, early in my career, I had some real bad lower back pain. Everywhere I went, nobody could tell me how to fix it. And so I'm a strength coach. So I started taking soft tissue classes. I'm going to figure this out. I ended up figuring it out. But when you get good at something like that, people get aware of it and they want you to help them. So one year, we're in the middle of the season and guys were getting banged up. So what do you think I have? I have a line of guys in the weight room during a session with me working on them on a table. Well, lo and behold, guess who came walking along the weight room that day to view down and see me working on them or head athletic trainer for football. How do you think that went? Yeah, I got a long email to my boss with me copied on it. So I think I still saved it to this day, but um, that's what you don't do. So that didn't go well for me. Um, so I think there's a couple pieces to this and I'm going to use some terms here, but I think number one, you've got to seek to have collaborative relationships in your field. If any relationship you have is adversarial, it will not go well for you or the athlete. So I've, what I've had to do is I've had to take a step back. Kind of I mentioned this earlier in the deal, but a perspective of like, what's my role here? And I had to go win trust with this trainer first and get on the same page with him. And then I could go and use whatever skill set that kind of cross. Because in, in the field we're in today, to, to Molly's point, we wear a lot of hats. And I may not, uh, I might not be the expert in something, but I can contribute to this team approach to performance because sometimes you get siloed in these, these uh, schools. And so it takes a village. And so I, what I, I even did this today. Like we've had some stuff we had to deal with this past year with, uh, with one of my teams. And so I'm going back and circling back with the trainers and the doctors 
and I've got a, I've got some ideas to help problem solve, but I want to let them know what I'm thinking and things I'm doing behind the scenes to make sure they're, because people, here's a quote, people are always down what they're not up on. So if you're doing stuff on your own and they're not up to speed on it, you're definitely going to get zapped, dude. So I think uh, communication, building trust, going a little slower with your plan, bringing the team along again, making sure you're working together and doing things. We even had another situation this year where one of our new, we had a new staff member take over in a different department. And dude, she stepped in some hot poo-poo, like bad. And I could have put, we was on Zoom, I could have put her on blast right there in front of the whole staff. What did I do? I wait till we got off, thought about it, waited a bit, called, text her, asked her to come by my office. And I just started telling her what she did. And you know, I didn't blast her. And she did, she was young, she didn't know. And she got better. You know what happened? Her boss ends up texting me later on and thanking me for it. And so I think, again, what are your expertise? Communicate that. Um, like, I'm a good, I'm really good with soft tissue. I've gotten aware in my field, my athletic trainer will have me work on her now. I've gotten to that point because I've built enough rapport, but also know that I will not diagnose anybody. And I only do what I know I'm really good at. If I'm not good at it, I go and I push people out to those areas that they do. So I think that's a great question. I think it needs to be very fluid, but I would say gauge how you do that by, are you adversarial with the people? If there's adversarial tension there, you need to fix that first because that's a problem, then move forward. Awesome, thanks for sharing that, Donnie. And I like the fact that you brought up, hey, what not to do. Um, Throughout my career, one of the, the best taglines that uh, somebody told me was what to do, what not to do, and how to treat people through every experience. So thanks for sharing that. We're going to do one more question, then I'll flick back to Gabe just because we're, we're closing up on the webinar. But um, Donnie, I'll go back to you first. Advice for anyone taking on a leadership role for the first time. How would you, uh, anything that you would kind of set the tone or, or provide them? Uh, for their first time stepping into that, you know, overarching leadership role? Yeah, I think, you know, um, number one, you need to, you need to kind of do, do some research, like, okay, what are you walking into? Talk to the person who just left, like, what were, what were they trying to accomplish? What were their pain points? Uh, who do, who's some people they need to really, like, who's some advocates that I need to really build? Where's some landmines that, I, you know, like, give me the landscape here. Uh, there's a book called the first 90 days that kind of gives you a roadmap for that. But like your first 90 days as a leader, don't go in there hot and heavy, dude. You might be out there in uh, 120 days. So I think doing just some homework, uh, getting the lay of the land, getting to know people and getting a, getting a clear perspective, you know, what's that, uh, that, that picture on a car? Like when you look in a rear view mirror, images on this mirror may appear closer than they really are. So you really got to, kind of get a really good leadership landscape perspective before you can start processing, prioritizing decisions, right? And resources, because that's what you're about. You've got problems, you've got resources and you've got people. And so you got to get a clear snapshot of where all those lie. And then you can start plotting this plan to kind of move the needle. And here's the, here's how I'll use two words. I think that sum this up simple. You need to be a leader that I think that's a little bit more effective. The word is evolutionary not revolutionary evolutionaries i'm going to move 
pretty slow and I'm be more tactful, revolutionary. Like, yeah, you can make some changes, but it could be a short. I have seen it at Texas. People come in here with a revolution like Paul Revere, like we're going to save whatever team or whatever department. Man, them jokes are gone a year and a half, two years. Seriously, because they didn't they didn't stop to get these comments. And you, to, if, if you want to be a great leader, you got to run at a slower pace and do more homework. And it's a hard work to figure out what's going on before you make a solid and sound decision. So great leaders aren't scared to do that work before they start moving forward. Love it. Molly, uh, quickly flicking over to you. I think Donnie just dropped the mic there. I know. I had nothing else. <laughs> No, really. You know, I, I reflect back on when I started at South Carolina and I came in guns blazing and I like wanted to do things my way. And I was putting so much pressure on myself too to get results that I didn't do enough of. I knew a little bit of the situation I was walking into, but I wish I would have just chilled out. I wish I would have just chilled out, but I had to go through that process to kind of evolve and grow as a leader. And so it's really observe ask more questions, get to know the situation you're in, get to know your people before anything. You can't do anything unless you know the people that uh, you're working with. And so um, just take a step back, take a step back, build those relationships, put the time in, put the work in, and you know, you'll continue to kind of build brick by brick. Yeah, some amazing, amazing nuggets in there. And can't wait to share this with everybody. And as we wrap up here, this is the last question that we have. Something we like to ask our guests, panelists that join us on the KES. What does your own training look like right now? Is it practice what you preach? Are you training for something specific or experimenting? Donnie, I know you try to take care of your feet. Is that what a lot of your training is geared towards? Uh, we're going to start with you, and then I'll kick it over to Molly. What does your own training look like right now these days? All right. First of all, this is a great question to end on. My athletes think I can't move still. They be like calling me out. Like, like we've been running some stadiums on Friday. I ran some stadiums, G. I can still move, cuz. Now, I mean, I may not be able to like, you know, next day I might be hurting Molly B, but your boy, I mean, I'm 52, but I'm young at heart and I train hard. Like I I be, I go for I went, I went for a three-mile run in the hundred degree heat the other day. Now I'm stupid for doing that. I didn't say I was smart, but I'm training five or six days a week. I don't go heavy anymore, but I train hard. Um, book I'm going through right now, if you have not listened to it, you get it on Audible. It's called Endure by Cameron Haynes. You've heard of this dude? You've heard, you got to listen to this book. This guy's, uh, he's a monster. Uh, runs these ultra marathons, bow hunter. He's not really a performance guy, but just his mentality just fires me up. But I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I can't do what I used to do. You know, it's kind of like that Toby Keith, you know, I ain't good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. So I can do things that I used to do, but just not at the intensity and level. And I've just got to, to your point, Gabe, you know, you were cracking jokes on your boy. I got to take care of my feet, my hips, my back and my neck. But I'm going to still train hard, Molly B, but I ain't going to run no full sprints and pop no hamstrings. So I like to get after it. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, well... You know, similar to Donnie, I try to train or I lift. Obviously, we're strength coaches, right? We love to lift, but um, I'm trying this new thing called condition part of our job title. So I'm actually in a conditioning like cohort right now where I'm I, I paid for programming for 12 weeks. And so that's something that I really don't like to do, but I'm forcing myself to do it. And um, it's actually been really humbling. 
but that's been a nice little addition to what I already do. And I try to train kind of like my players do to an extent, like they are beyond so many more, uh, so many more times athletic than, than I am. Like it's not even a comparison, but I try to at least still jump around a little bit. So yeah, I try to, I'm kind of dabble. I hate programming for myself. So I usually try to rely on other people uh, to do that for me. And real quick, you all married, you got partners or anything, married partners. Yeah. I'm telling you what, I've been married 26 years. This is, this is a real deal. I'm going to say last thing I'm going to say, you met my wife, Miss Karen. She fine. Now you got to stay sexy, baby. I'm telling you, you can't, I ain't going to, I'm not lying. When you get to my age, you see some dudes, they got some big old boilers. Now I ain't trying to have no little, you know, sorry if anybody listen, got that. You got to get in shape, but I'm trying to stay sexy for Miss Karen. And I ain't playing. All right. That's a good note. That's a good one to end. It's a good one to end on right there. (laughs) It's always, I appreciate you both so much. And it's, it's always great to have you on. And um, that is what we have, you know, allotted for today. And a huge thank you to the people that joined us live for KES. And huge thank you to our two panelists, Molly Benetti and Donnie Mabe. We appreciate their time and willingness to share their knowledge on leadership. Please be sure to give them both a follow on social media. They're two amazing people and the field of coaching is truly lucky to have them. This discussion will be publicly available on Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under the Kaiser Education Series. We hope you'll join us in two weeks from now on our next KES panel. Thank you all and have a great day.